Get your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And for the next few weeks, let me tell you what's coming up. The next few weeks, I, I don't, I'm not really going to teach in a series. A lot of times I have messages that are kind of ordered or organized in a particular series. But honestly, I just have, there's some things that have been in my heart for several months that I just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. And so I'm going to take about four weeks here and I'm going to walk through all these messages that are kind of been kind of stirred up in me. You know, they've kind of been on the, on the burner. The, you know, they've been, ma- been marinating. I don't know, something good, whatever it is. Um, and uh, so, so it's not that we're without, a, a, it's not that we're without a navigational beacon or we're just th- no direction. It's just these don't really fit in a series, but they're very significant, each one of them. And so we're going to be doing that from now through the end of the fast. And then after the fast is over, we're actually going to kick off a series that I just simply called Build, because here our mission is to believe, belong, become, and build. And we're going to talk about uh, moving to the new campus and what that's going to look like and getting that completed. And so we're going to be talking about that, which we're excited. But all of our leadership team, our elders, we all know it's time. God's given us a word that it's time to get back to finishing that campus. And if you're new and you don't know, we own 49 acres on North 259, and we actually have a campus project underway. It was paused because of COVID, but we actually have about $5 million completed and about $5 million to go. And so, all, by the way, without a loan, that was all cash, and so, um, which is a testimony to the goodness of God. And... Uh, and so we've got about $5 million to complete it, but we actually have, you know, it's, we have most of, the, um, most of the development done. We have the concrete poured, and we actually have steel standing. You can see the physical structure. The road is blocked right now because the next thing we're going to do is build a bridge um, over the, the, it's really kind of a creek, but we're going to build a bridge there. Um, so you can't drive in there right now. Don't, please don't drive in there right now. But, you know, if you want to walk down through there, I, you know, it's at your own risk. All right. But, uh, anyways, but you can see the, the structure and there's pictures of it online, but we're going to get back to that. And, uh, it's what God, God didn't change the vision of the house and hasn't changed what he's called us to do. And, and we just know that God's going to provide. So we're going to be talking about that and uh, excited about that. So, but for the next few weeks, I'm just going to share some things kind of from my heart. So one of those comes from Matthew chapter six. And I was thinking about it, that if I had, you know, if I had a life message, I I feel like this is categorically where I would want it to land. Um, But then I really thought about it. I thought, truthfully, this is Jesus' life message, what I'm going to share today. Um, I'm going to read the whole context of the scripture, but I'm going to read Matthew 6, 33, which is a very famous verse in the Bible, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. And if you've heard that and you've heard me, I've, I've, I've preached on it before. Some of this is review. Some of this is new. Some of this I've never shared because I've just seen some things. I'm, I'm not one of those that does well at re-preaching a message. I admire people who can do that, honestly. I have pastors and friends that they can you know, just take a series and just re-preach it. I can never leave one alone. I will, I will wake up tomorrow morning and I will think, Next time I preach this message, this is how I'm going to do it, or this is how I'm going to change it. I just never am good at that. But um, what you need to understand is the life message of Jesus was not that you could go to heaven. In fact, Jesus' mission was not to get you into heaven. If If you want to turn on words or play on words, his mission was to get heaven into you. 
Um, and so Jesus never preached about, hey, in fact, one, the message of the modern church by and large, and again, I'm not the only person that would teach a message this way, and I'm in no way against anyone or what they're preaching or teaching. So let me just say, I love everybody that's preaching the gospel, and I don't think I'm smarter than everybody else or have some, I just need to share what God showed me. Does that make sense? But my concern is probably the, the, the flaw in the message of the modern day church to some regard, if I could say it that's why it sounds more maybe harsh than what I meant. I'm not saying they're all wrong. I'm saying it's incomplete. And what I mean by that is when you hear the gospel and you say, well, the good news is if you pray this prayer, when you die, you can go to heaven. Then you need to understand that message was never preached by Jesus, Amen. nor was it preached by any of his followers in the first century church. That was not the gospel. The gospel was not that you could go to heaven. I, there is a heaven. People, we know when they pass away in faith, to be absent in the bodies, to be present in the Lord. So I'm not changing your theology about heaven, per se, in that there is a spiritual realm. Not trying to get into all that. What I'm saying is Jesus never preached, nor did Paul, nor did Peter, nor did John, never preached a message that, that was like pray a prayer, and when you die, you can go to heaven. The first message Jesus ever preached, Matthew chapter 4, he said, repent because heaven has come near to you. And repent really doesn't mean change your behavior as much as change the way you think. Right? One of the most carnal ways to think is religiously. <laughs> and so Jesus didn't come with a religion. He didn't come to establish a religion. He came to establish a kingdom. And that's why when you, when you understand heaven has come, the kingdom has come and it is coming, that what Jesus did in his first coming was bring a kingdom back to earth and it will culminate at his second coming when the fullness of that kingdom is realized on the earth. And the dwelling, as we see in Revelation 21, and you know, here comes this new Jerusalem and the dwelling place of God is with man. So Jesus' message as he went about preaching, what he said the good news was, was not that you could pray a prayer, die, and go to heaven. The good news was that heaven had again invaded the earth. Now, why is that good news? Because the earth is full of lack and problems, and the kingdom is full of abundance and solutions. With earth comes the absence of peace. With the kingdom came the prince of peace. Earth is full of lack the kingdom says your needs are supplied according to his riches in his glory or in his kingdom, right? Earth, you have to get happiness if your circumstance allows. The kingdom offers joy no matter what your circumstance is. Paul talked to people. In, I mean, one of the book Philippians talks more about joy, and it was written from a prison cell. So circumstance does not determine joy. It does determine happiness because happiness is, is literally happenstance, the, the, the root of it, meaning circumstances determine. So, so if you're waiting on the right circumstances to be happy, 
Are you waiting on the right circumstances to have joy? You're missing out. In fact, in the kingdom, you don't rejoice because you have joy. Joy comes through rejoicing. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He didn't say, if you feel like joyful, rejoice. He's like, no, when you rejoice, then the resource of the kingdom, the nature of the king is released and you experience joy. Why? Because ultimate joy is found in my connectedness and my relatedness to the king. And so in a world where we need joy, in a world that doesn't have peace, in a world that has sickness and disease, over here he said, I sent my word and I healed them and I delivered them from all their destruction. So the kingdom is full of abundance. The earth is full of lack. So what I would, want, what, what I would tell you then is, is every time you see Jesus do a miracle, he's not trying to prove he's Jesus. It is just a simple picture of what happens when the kingdom overwhelms earth. When the kingdom overwhelms earth, a demoniac is delivered. When the kingdom overwhelms earth, a blind man can see. When the king, P- Peter and John go into the temple, they, they encounter a lame man and he's, he's asking for money, right? Because, you know, when, when you're in earth, your, your life is or, organized by lack and lack teaches us, you know, how to live essentially in the earth. So the only thing he knew to ask for was money because he just wanted to eat, Right. But they were preachers, so they didn't have any money. So they said, we don't have that. Silver and gold, we don't have. But this is why they said, but we have something else. And in the name of the king, get up and walk. And heaven overwhelmed earth. And the Bible says he went jumping and leaping and shouting and praising God. And so the message, all they did was apply the message of Jesus. So the message that Jesus preached was this message that a kingdom was here. It had come and was coming. Not that you could pray and someday go to heaven. That is incomplete. It's not wrong. It's incomplete. Does that make sense? And Jesus never preached it, and neither did any of his followers. And so, in a way, that's what gets us to Matthew 6, um, and what I want to talk about today, that's the introduction, and if you've been here, you've probably heard me give a similar introduction, Um, but I think it bears repeating because it was the only message that Jesus preached. And so now we're going to work that in a little bit, all right? You ready to to work that in? So Matthew 6, I want to read the context of this verse. So I'm going to start in verse 24, read 10 verses together. It says, no one can serve two masters. Everybody say two. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. No one can serve God and mammon. Mammon was a Babylonian God that promised stuff. So some people call it money. Sometimes it's interpreted money. It was really mammon. And mammon was a Babylonian God that promised to meet your needs. Kind of like money promises to meet your needs. And, and we, I'm not going to talk about money today, but I'm just saying there are still, this, this mentality still exists because even believers will say, I either need God to come through or I need more money, right? So it's still two, two ways of living, right? Not, not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm just, just, we're just reading the Bible together. Therefore, I say to you, don't, apparently I have the spiritual gift of offending people, but I don't mean to. It's, it's a gift, meaning I don't work on it. It just happens. Other people get really good gifts like comfort and 
hospitality. And, uh, I get the gift of, of offending people. Um, with the best of motive in the world. Anyway, therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds. Uh, they don't sow or reap nor gather in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you more valuable than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin, and yet... Um, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't worry, saying, what do we eat? What do we drink? What do we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And then verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own <laughs> trouble. I just, I like that verse because I've lived it. <laughs> like Every day seems to have its own day, right? So, um, but seek first the, the kingdom. Um, I, I want to pray, and I'll just tell you what I call this message. I call this message living your best life. Because I actually think it's what Jesus is trying to tell you. I think it's what he's trying to tell me. I think it's what he's trying. How do you live your best life? Like here we are the first weekend of the year. How do you live your best life? Well, Jesus just told us, and we're going to talk about it. So, Father, I just pray that in this moment we wouldn't miss you. Holy Spirit, speak words of life. Open our eyes to your truth that it would transform all of who we are. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you grew up in church, I grew up in church, and, and I don't think anybody meant it this way, but I remember um, reading Matthew 6.33, and it was quoted a lot, and it was preached on a lot, as it should be. But I remember sometimes feeling like it was a big religious stick that beat, beat me up because it seemed to always measure my motives and my activities and tell me they were wrong, right? And, and it was almost like Jesus was... God was mad at us because we were seeking all these bad things and we needed to seek the right things. And if it wasn't, if it wasn't kind of in that legalistic context that I would hear it, then I would hear it in, in this religious uh, obligation, this context that this is an obligation of people who claim to follow Jesus, that you got to seek the kingdom. And, and I didn't really understand what the kingdom was or how to seek it, but I just knew apparently I wasn't doing it. And God was mad because I wasn't seeking first the kingdom. Has anybody ever had any of these emotions with this text? But a few years ago, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in a way that revolutionized the way that I see this verse. And it really came as I put together a, a, a message. And, um, and all of a sudden, I saw this differently. Um, because when you look at the text, if you think about it, these are not people who are pursuing sinful things. They're talking about clothing and food and water, right? Like it is not wrong to want to eat today. That is not sinful. Like these are not people who are seeking you know, I grew up, you got to understand when I grew up in church, every message that was preached to a teenager was about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And they were all bad. And they didn't tell us necessarily why they were bad. They were just all bad. 
Sex is bad. Rock and roll is bad. Alcohol is bad. Sex, drugs, and alcohol send you straight to hell. And I'm not saying that it won't. I'm not saying you should leave here and have sex and, you know, drink alcohol and listen to rock music. Well, I don't know, (laughs) y'all. There's some good music out there. You know, let's... Like, I'm just saying, there are some days I wouldn't make it through my workout if it wasn't for rock and roll music. And so, because I, I love me some worship, but, you know, I'm just saying, Carrie Job doesn't always get the last set and the last rep in. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I love her. Like, you know, I love Maverick City, but that doesn't always get that last rep in. But man, some ACDC will get the last rep in. I'm just saying. I had a workout the other day. It was going down the drain in a hurry, and then Survivor, Eye the Tiger, came on. I went, oh, yo, Adrian. You know, it was one of those kind of moments. Like, (laughs) we did it, Adrian, we did it. Anyways, I'm sorry. I don't, where are we going? Anyways, the point is, what was the point? (laughs) The, the, The point is, all these messages you know, seem condescending. And, um, and you know, we were always measured and, and found wanting. And when I, when, I was, when I was looking at this, all of a sudden I realized, number one, one thing about God, God is only good. Yeah, that's right. that's what, what David said. You are good and do only good. Yeah. James said, every good and perfect gift is from above and it comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. Meaning, you are good, everything good comes from you and you never change. And so my point is, and this would be a good exercise to start the year off, anything good in your life came from God. And the enemy is so sneaky that he gets into our life and he will cause us to constantly inventory what's bad and, and ascribe it to God. And we will spend much of our Christian life giving God credit for everything bad when the Bible declares very clearly that everything good comes from him. And so if you're breathing today, that came from him. And if you have relationships that you enjoy today, that came from him. If you have blessings, you have a job, you have a car, you have, you know, you have a Twinkie, whatever it is, like... It came from, I don't know where Twinkie came from, but it came from him, right? And it's amazing because Twinkies are eternal. You can bury one today, dig it up in 70 years, it will still taste the same. I don't know. Help me, Jesus. Anyways, the point is that, that God is good and does only good. And then God in his goodness is only motivated by love. Nothing else motivates God. Nothing else motivates God. Only love. For God so loved the world that he... So here's what God looks like. He loves and he gives. And yet the, en- the enemy will convince us that he hates and he takes. Because he wants to turn our trust into bitterness. He wants to take the areas where you're trying to trust God and through disappointment bring you to a place of bitterness, right? By giving God credit for what didn't work or what hasn't happened or whatever the case may be. But God is good and does only good. And 
God gives because he loves. So God is good and God loves. So when you look at Matthew 6.33, think about this in context. They are not pursuing sin. They're pursuing, according to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, your basic physiological needs. We need to eat. We need to drink. We need to wear clothes. Very basic things. So these are not evil people. So what if this is not a rebuke? Right? What if this is help? What if he is motivated by love? And, and Jesus is speaking. We know many times throughout the gospel, Jesus was moved with compassion. And he was moved with compassion, so he taught them. And he was moved with compassion, so he healed them. And he was moved with compassion, so he forgave. So since God is motivated, so here's what I think is going on in Matthew 6. Jesus is looking at his people, his people, his creation that he loves, God's people. And he's seeing them living life in a way that he knows is going to produce emptiness and anxiety. Don't worry. Remember that's why he said, don't worry. Well, why was he saying don't worry? Because they were anxious. They were stressed. And what he was saying was simply this. I want to help you live life to the fullest. And so what I'm about to tell you is not about what you're doing wrong, but what you could do right. It's, it's not to say you're bad people. It's trying to say that that won't work. Amen. So Jesus lovingly, full of compassion, says, so it's not seek the kingdom, you horrible people. No, he's like, hey, I'm worried too about your food. In fact, you know who's more worried about what you're going to eat today than you are? God. You know who's more worried about your clothing? Think about God because he clothed the lilies of the field. You know who's more worried about you having water today to drink or whatever? God. So this is not a rebuke at all. This is a lifeline to say, let me tell you how to get those needs met without all the anxiety. In other words, let me tell you how life was actually designed to work. Where you can live from abundance instead of from lack. Right? Because what do we say? Kingdom only has abundance. Earth only has lack. Remember how I said no man can serve two? And I said, mark the word two. It's not so much that I want to talk about the two masters and mammon and God and all that, although that is very significant and does apply. I just don't have time to, to, to get there. But what Jesus then is actually telling us is there are two ways to live. And one produces anxiety and one produces peace. One is organized by lack and one is organized by abundance. So again, this is a merciful Savior so seek first the kingdom is not an edict from a dictator as much as it is an invitation from a savior. He's not saying, do this because I said so. He's saying, let me save you. And one of the ways that I save you is to save you from yourself. And so he's saying, hey, these are two ways to live. Now, here's what's, this is going to get fun. You ready to play along? If there's two ways to live, don't, don't seek after these things. Seek after this. Okay, 
Here's what you need to know. You're just what it's in the text, but you don't always think about it because it's kind of the other side of the coin. And like what I love to do is think, well, if that's the top side of the coin, what's the bottom side of the coin? So if he's saying, don't seek this, seek this, then what he's telling me is, number one, everyone is seeking something. This, our nature is the way we are. Everyone is probably because he created Adam to seek the kingdom first. So it's in our nature to seek. Everyone is seeking something. What everyone, whether you're online today, whether you're in this room, what we all have in common is we're all seeking something. We're all seeking something. Now, let me say something else. All of us have a first thing we're seeking. Everybody in the room, you have something you are seeking first. And it may not be what you think it is. Because I know we're in church, and I said, what are you seeking first this morning? You'd say, Jesus. Because <laughs> that's the right answer. And religion has taught us the right answer. But Jesus is not talking about a religion or a right answer. He's talking about a way of living. You are seeking something first. And you need to ask yourself what it is. What am I seeking first? Like do an inventory. What is first on my mind all the time? What do I think about the most? How do I spend most of my time? This one's going to hurt. Just brace yourself, okay? If I were to evaluate my bank statement, where does my money go first? Because, see, we can say, well, we seek the kingdom first. We seek the kingdom first. And that's a great thing to say, but is that really? Because what we've, we've unfortunately, because we think like earth, we've made seeking the kingdom a religious obligation and a religious activity. So when we say seek the kingdom what we're talking about is, well, I go to church when I can. Maybe I serve every now and then. Maybe I give an offering when I can. And we've relegated seeking the kingdom to religious obligation. So we know the answer. Well, I, you know, pastor, I, last year we had 52 weekends and I made it to church 26. Obviously, I seek the kingdom first. It's not at all what this text is talking about. Jesus never came to establish a religion. He came to establish a kingdom. He's telling us how a kingdom works, not a religion works. Amen. And most of the time, honestly, what religion is really good at, religion, religion is a form of godliness without power. And most of the time, the reason we want the form of godliness is to appease our own conscience so we feel better about us. So the question most of the time people are asking themselves is, how religious do I need to be to feel good about me? Right? Like, how many weekends do I need to be at church so I feel good about me? How much money do I need to give so I can feel good about me? So I mark it off the list because these are religious duties and obligations. And this is not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, hey, we all have a first thing. Like, ask, like, 
What is your first thing? Do an inventory. Be honest with yourself. What is your first thing? Because for some of you, your first thing is a relationship. And for some of you, your first thing is a, a business opportunity. And for some of you, first thing is actually a hobby. And for some of you, first thing is actually social media. And I'm not, again, no condemnation. We just, you can't get anywhere until you start in reality. Reality is always your friend when you want to grow and move and experience the goodness of the Lord. Like Jesus is starting by a lesson in reality. You're seeking the wrong stuff, right? I want to help you live your best life, but I can't help you live your best life if you got all these pursuits wrong. Like every time you get paid, I I said I wasn't going to talk about money, but every time you get paid, you take a test on what's first. Because a tithe is the first 10%. Now, let me, I don't mean to teach on this and just whatever, but you just need to know the tithe is the first 10%. And people, well, I don't believe a tithe is 10%. The word tithe actually means 10th. Like, Sometimes we have really great arguments that are based in really convenient theologies and ideas, but the word tithe means tenth. That's, they're like, why is a tithe 10%? Because that's what the word means. And the word means that way. God called it that because that was what he said was to be given first is 10% given the tithe. That's another thing. An offering you can give whenever a tithe has to be given first. It is the first 10%. I'm not making any of this up. I could teach you all this from the Bible. I've taught it in the past. I'm just, this is review, okay? If you haven't heard this, this is just to help you. So also a tithe was, Jacob's wages were, were changed 10 times. There were 10 plagues. 10 is the number of testing. So when God wants 10%, it's a test every time you get paid on what's first or who is first. And some of you are grading yourself an A and you haven't passed yet. (laughs) Right? I'm just saying, sometimes we give ourselves this, oh man, I'm really seeking the kingdom. And I hope you are. But and I'm going to go a little bit deeper. But seeking the kingdom is not a set of religious responsibilities or obligations. That's not what he's talking about right here. What he's talking about is not things you do, but he's talking about how you live. So he is offering a way of living. So earth has taught us a way of living based on poverty. He is offering a way of living based on purpose. Amen. Earth has taught us to organize and, and, and our pursuits are all based on what we need, which to us, everyone in here, if you, if you sit here for a minute and say, well, it doesn't make sense. Yes, it does make sense. That's why most people don't tithe because it doesn't make sense. Because the, the, really the promise of tithing is, you give the first 10% and God will make the 90% be more than the 100% was. Amen. Right? That's, and, and people are like, no, I know math. That's not how that works. <laughs> right? Just like, just like when we're talking about seeking the kingdom and, and we got to have food. And, uh, well, logically, we have to have food. Like, like, these are things that we have to have. 
But yet he's saying, no, 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 no. Don't live pursuing these things. Remember when David said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me? He's like, this is what God's saying. Hey, if you get kingdom right, those things will chase you. Oh, you didn't get it. Let me help you. When I live pursuing these things, the best I can hope for is to get enough of these things to make it through tomorrow, whatever. When I put the kingdom first, those things pursue me. Here's why. Earth is categorized by lack. It's ordered by lack. That's what it has to offer, lack, right? Kingdom has abundance. Whatever is first has power over everything else in your life. So it is not wrong to want to have peace, right? And, and I know this, this is something that hits a lot of people, depression, anxiety, all that. We've talked about that. Obviously, I'm not in any way being disrespectful or knocking that. Hopefully, you listen to the mind control and understand even my story. So I'm not against antidepressants or anything that's responsibly taken and prescribed correctly in those times. I'm not against any medication that's, that's done the right way. Are you with me? But it just, when you look and see anti-anxiety medication at an all-time high, it tells me a lot of people are trying to find peace, right? right? But peace isn't found by chasing peace. Peace is found by seeking the prince of peace. Right? And, And I know, like, our mind, like, to be honest, when you think about it in terms of religious duties and obligations like we were talking about, earth is who teaches you religion. Religion is the most carnal mindset that exists. Why do you think the king of the kingdom could not get along with the religious leaders? Like the only people Jesus could not get along with were religious people. Why? Because their, their thinking was so foreign to kingdom mentalities. The mentality of the kingdom was so adverse to the way religion was set up. Religion is based on me. It's based on my performance. It's based on obligations and tasks and duties. And if I do these things, I get these things. And, and it's, it's, religion's a different set of pursuits. Over here, though, Jesus is saying, seek first the kingdom. What you need to understand is that when it comes to seeking first the kingdom, that is not, here's what I want you to understand. Religion teaches us to compartmentalize that. Okay? So, and again, we just, but just to make sure, I've covered this, but just to get it clear. So we think seeking first the kingdom is, you know, well, I, you know, serve and, and you know, I you know, I give or I have church attendance or you know, I go to a life group and but we compartmentalize it into like religious duties. So then we're only seeking the kingdom when we're doing certain things. You see what I'm saying? And so we have a portion of our life that is seeking the kingdom first. And then the rest of our life is well, I gotta work and 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 I'm not saying you shouldn't work. <laughs> The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. We don't like that in our world today. 
I'm not against, listen. <laughs> I think everyone should have food. I think if you want a cell phone or a car, you should get a job. Okay, so... <laughs> The point is, amen. And so the point is, I have some wonderful friends in here. They're like, we're going to help you move on. We're going to help you move on. And you were saying, and you were saying. Anyways, and so, but the point is, when, when I think there are a lot of people who think they're seeking first the kingdom, not, not because they, out of the best motive. Does that make sense? Because we've never really thought about it in the terms that I'm about to explain it. Because we, we relegate seeking the kingdom to various things we do. And it is true, seeking the kingdom involves things you do. Like when you seek the kingdom, you love. And when you seek the kingdom, you serve. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. It's a value of the kingdom. In fact, the way you bring the kingdom is by serving. And when you seek the kingdom, you do give. You're generous. I mean, you're, you're never more like God than when you give. You're never more like Jesus than when you serve right? He took the form of a servant. God so loved the world that he gave. I mean, these are huge kingdom characteristics, right? But, but the problem is sometimes we compartmentalize it so much that we have people that would rather, they would rather tithe than serve. So they tithe so they don't have to serve. And some people serve so they don't have to tithe. And some people give to the poor so they don't have to love them. Right? Because again, we're, we've had this big thing called life and it's got these compartments and pieces and we need our religious piece to work right. So in this little compartment in our life called religion, we do these things so we can say, that's where I'm seeking the kingdom first. And again, I'm not necessarily saying it's wrong. I'm saying it's incomplete. And the Bible says, when I seek the kingdom, all these things will be added. And there are a lot of people who want their money back on Matthew 6, 33, because they're like, but I was seeking the kingdom and I didn't get all these things. And what I'd say is, I'm not sure we've done it right yet. Because he is not talking about something we do. He is talking about how we live. So what he is saying is seeking the kingdom is a way to live. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our mission statement. And that is what prioritizes and organizes our, our vocation, our relationships, our families, our hobbies, like all of it comes under this. Like that becomes the thing that we do and all these other things are how we do it. Amen. Not we do all these things and this little piece of our life is how we seek the kingdom. That's where we've gotten it wrong because we've made it a portion of life and we've not made it the all and, and, and the totality of how. So what it means to seek first the kingdom is to say, how do I seek the kingdom first in my family? How do I seek the kingdom first in my relationships? How do I seek the kingdom first in my business or, or my job or vocation or whatever it is? How do I seek the kingdom first in my time, my activity? How do I seek the kingdom first in my finances? Like it becomes the one thing I do instead of one of the things I do. 
Because what he's saying is, as long as you've got a compartment of religion, this doesn't work for you. Because something else is still first. And the goal is to get this out of the religion box into the life mission box and realize that it doesn't matter what your vocation is, you're called to bring the kingdom. If you're a business person, you bring the kingdom. You say, well, I'm not in management. It's okay. Jesus became a servant, not a manager. You can be minimum wage and bring the kingdom. You may be more effective because you may have less tape than your Christian manager who can't say anything without being threatened by, by being fired because it might be politically incorrect. Right? So, so what I'm saying is then this becomes the, the way, the way that we live. Here's what I'm saying. Seeking the kingdom first would imply this. The kingdom is in everything or nothing. Seeking the kingdom in your life, it's in everything or nothing. Because the king and his kingdom will only be first. He is preeminent. He will only be first. And so this is why I think people, like Jesus, compassionately looking at people, and they are floundering, and they're unfulfilled, and they're anxious, and he's like, I've got to tell y'all how life works. Yes. And so when we talk about seeking the kingdom, and this is, I want, to, I want to go from here and give you something new to think about, if I haven't already. <laughs> but, but when we talk about these, there are things that, that, like I said, when my life becomes about the kingdom, there are activities that come out of that. In fact, truthfully, if seeking the kingdom is first, every activity comes out of that. Yes. Yes. Playing golf can come out of that. Right? Like every activity, like today you're going to go eat. Eating lunch can come out of seeking the kingdom. You can pray for your waitress. You can invite your waiter to church. By the way, I used to say this all the time. If you go eat, most wait staff know on Sundays that you're church people, and they hate it because we're usually the worst at gratuities and tipping. If you're a pathway person, 20% is the minimum. I don't care if it's good service or bad service. 20% is the minimum. I don't know why I just felt like I needed to say that, but bring the kingdom. That's right. Like anytime we go out to we don't, I don't go out to eat much on Sundays or we just grab something, but if we ever go to a restaurant on Sunday, I always tip usually 30% because they know we're church people. And I figure... I hate to say this. I, I played at a, I played in a a golf tournament that was sponsored by a Christian organization, and and they had uh, ladies that you know they brought they had drinks for you you know Gatorades, Cokes, those type of things, um, and uh, and so you know she came out with a drink. Why well, I, I tipped her because I just thought that was a nice thing to do, and she made a comment. She said, "This is the first tip I've gotten today. I tipped over a hundred dollars the rest of the day." Because they knew we were Christians. Yeah. 
And I kept tipping them. And I was like, just in case no one tipped you today, like, like I just, I'm sorry. And I, maybe they misunderstood that gratuities were on us or whatever the case may be. I'm just saying, when the kingdom's first, it's in everything. Because when the kingdom's first, generosity organizes your life, not, not lack. Does it make sense? And, okay. I really want to try to get to, to something that's important. <laughs> so how do we do this? So I was thinking about how we do this, and there are activities, and, and so what is it like to seek the kingdom? And I want to go one level deeper. So do you have time for one level deeper? So one level deeper, and that is this that I'm going to put some thoughts together, read a scripture, but it will all be very clear. Um, you cannot separate the presence of the king and the kingdom. That's right. Right. That right? Wherever the king is, the kingdom is. And if the kingdom is there, the king is there. You, you can't separate the king and the presence of the king. So the kingdom then is in his presence. If you're in the presence of the king, you're in the kingdom. So when we're talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom is in the presence. Let me give you a verse. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? So the kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. So we have to have this conversation then of the presence of the king. Because, think about this, when the king is present, his will is accomplished. So, so there is a correlation then between the presence of God and the will of God. Your kingdom come, the presence of the kingdom accomplishes the will of God. Your will be done. Do you, you all see this? So we can't minimize our necessity for the presence of God if we want to experience the kingdom of God and see the will of God. Our, is everybody, I just want to make sure I hadn't left anybody behind. Leave nobody behind. I don't want to leave anybody behind. Now, when we talk about the presence of God, so we're talking about seeking first the kingdom. What does that mean? Well, we, seeking first the presence of the king is seeking first the kingdom. So Jesus is, remember, they were seeking stuff. And he said, no, don't seek something. Seek someone. So when I want to seek first the kingdom in relationships and business and all this stuff, then what I'm trying to do is get God's presence, the presence of the king to influence all those things. So what if my whole life mission statement is about bringing the presence of God into every area of life that I touch? Is that not what God did with Adam? He said, Adam, you got one job. Be, well, several. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue, and take dominion. So seek first the kingdom. How, how am I going to do that? Because I breathed in you. And you have the presence of the king in you. So everywhere you go, the kingdom goes. This is why Jesus was successful. Not because he was trying to prove he was God, 
but because he was a man who had the Holy Spirit without measure, so he had the presence and the power of the kingdom with him. So everything he did wasn't an exercise in a demonstration that you should hear me because I'm God. He was simply showing us when the presence of the kingdom comes, it does the will of God. And what is the will of God? For blind people to see, for lame people to walk, for demonic or demonized people to be delivered. For, for, for people who need forgiveness to be forgiven. This is what the kingdom does when it shows up. So, so seeking the kingdom then is about having the presence of God influence and impact every area of my life. Are you with me so far? So you can't separate the king and the kingdom. Now, when we talk about presence, here's where people get confused because you understand. Sorry, I'm out of breath. Woo, got to do more cardio. Anyways... When, when you, slow down. All right. So what people need to understand is when we're talking about the presence of God, most people understand one of the characteristics of God is that he is all present. We call the omnipresence of God. Omnipresent, all present. And, and so when we're sitting and talking about, well, what are we talking about when we're talking about the presence of God? Well, you have to understand there are varying degrees of the presence of God. Yes. When the kingdom fully comes, that will be the fullest expression of the totality of the presence of God being made known. And that's where we delineate. There is the all present, you know, omnipresence of God. He is present. I like to say it. He is so big. Everything is in his presence. Yeah. Right? David said, if I ascend to the hill, you're there. If I go down the depths, you're there. If I go make my bed in hell, you're there. I mean, his, so that's the, the, the omnipresence of God. But then when you read the Bible, you see these other incredible encounters that were the presence of God, but it was made known. It became tangible in a way. Such as like Egypt. I mean, Israel, they're delivered from Egypt. They go through the Red Sea. I mean, God was with them. There was a cloud. There was a pillar of fire. God was present in Egypt. God was present with them, but they come to Mount Sinai and God comes down on the mountain in such a way that there's rumblings and thunderings and fire and smoke. And I mean, like they could see God's presence. They could feel God's presence, right? And then like Jacob, Jacob is running away from his brother and he goes to sleep and he has this dream um, and it's a, a ladder with angels ascending and descending and, and, he, and he wakes up and he says, wow. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. Let me, let me kind of break the Hebrew down. Here's what he's saying. The Lord was here, and I have now become aware. Or the Lord was here, and now he has made himself to be known. So he was saying there was a difference. Like, he was here, and I didn't know, and then he was here, and I did know. So do you see the difference? And then you can go, I mean, you can go through the Bible and find, I mean, Solomon, when he brings the ark of the presence of God, which is signifying God's presence among his people, and he brings it into the temple, then the, the glory of God and the power of God comes so strongly that it knocks all the priests down and they can't do anything. Right? Now, and this is all Old Testament. We get in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2. On the, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, first of all, why did it come? Well, it was God's plan, but also they had had a 10-day prayer meeting. So before heaven invaded earth, earth invaded heaven. But when, when it comes, there are these cloven tongues of fire, the Bible says, 
And somebody said, what is that? I don't know. <laughs> but I know you could see it. Because yeah. even people who didn't believe in it could see it. So the presence of God came in a completely, not only tangible way, but a visible way. And people who didn't even, like when you read stories of some of the past revivals, like the Azusa Street Revival, the, the fire department kept getting called to the Azusa Street Revival because when they would start the church service, this, this flame of fire would go out of the roof and stay up there the whole time. And people thought the building was on fire and the fire department would show up and say, nope, they're just having church. So people who didn't believe in God could see the fire on the church that wasn't real fire, but it was fire, but it wasn't fire, kind of like Moses in the bush. Like, it was on fire, but it wasn't on fire. It was burning, but it wasn't burning. And so what I'm saying is, is, is when we're talking about the presence of God, like here is what I'm trying to give you is, is like a pursuit to say, what if we encountered the presence of God? What if we lived from encountering the king? And our encounter with the presence of the king organized, ordered, and influenced every compartment of our life. What if that's kind of what Jesus is talking about? I got to end, so I'm just going to end. I'm I'm not going to land the plane. I'm just going to crash it right into the side of the mountain, okay? But, but when you, when you look, think about this. So, and we've told this story and I'll tell it because it's significant, it's significant. But from our birthday on, God's presence has come in a different way. And a lot of people are aware of that and you can feel it like I feel it. And I feel it in different ways at different times. It's just been, it's been marvelous, even though I can't really explain it. Like I tried to explain it to a guy. He's like, oh, that's good. I'm like, you don't understand. Like it's good is not the word. But with that, in the same amount of time that we've sensed that um, deeper, I need, I need words, in a greater intensity <laughs> of God's presence, what, what has also been seen is all these miraculous things that we haven't seen before. So in the same amount of time, like God's presence, so I want you to see the picture. God's presence has come, and now all of a sudden we have all these testimonies. So there seems to be a correlation then. Seek first the kingdom, and all these things, right? You don't seek first the things because you'll lose the kingdom. But if you seek first the kingdom, you'll get the things. Are Are you with me? But what we've seen, and I won't be able to list them all, but we have a list. I mean, we have seen nerve damage healed. We've seen uh, bad discs healed in backs. We've uh, rotator cuffs healed. Uh, PTSD, people healed and delivered. Um, terminal lung conditions healed. Um, infertility, yeah, we, I mean, we have, yeah, we've had babies. And, um, and then allergies and... Um, a lot. Anyways, there's a lot, right? And here's what I'm saying is that, that what's the correlation? What's the correlation? You can't separate the presence of the king and the kingdom. Right. Yes. And when the presence of the king is there, yes. Yes. the will of the king is done. Amen. Yes. Do, do you see what I'm saying? And then it got me asking myself, I mean, this is, I mean, we understand God is a rewarder of those who seek him. 
Like if you want to see a picture of this in the, in, in the Old Testament, I'll give you this and I promise I'll finish. But if you want to see a picture of this in the Old Testament, you look at, you know, uh, the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant, right? And they have it about seven months. And then, um, and then it's moved and it ends up at Abinadad's house. And then like 20-something years later, David decides he's going to bring the Ark back to Jerusalem. And he goes and he gets it. And unfortunately, he doesn't read the Bible on how the presence of God comes. So he uses the Philistines' method, which was a new cart, to transport the ark. If he would have read, and he did later, the ark isn't transported on a cart. It's transported on the priests. Like the ark isn't carried in a program. It's carried up by people. It's a great lesson for the church because the, the presence of God doesn't come when we get the production right. The presence of God comes when we get our hearts right. Right? It doesn't come, like I'm not against, obviously we have lights and all those cool things and I love them. They're pretty and they're fun and all that kind of stuff. But the presence of God doesn't come from production. It comes from prayer. And so, but the long story short is, so David brings it on this cart and we know the story, the oxen stumble. And so this guy named Yuza or Uza, however you want to say his name, he reaches out to steady the ark. Very noble. I don't want the ark to fall. And he's struck dead. And it was because they were using the world's method to try to transport the presence of God and it doesn't work, right? You can't use the world's style of seeking and end up with the kingdom. You have to seek the kingdom. So David didn't know what to do. So he pulls over at Obed-Eden's house and leaves the ark there. I always imagine it like it's in his garage, covered up like the DeLorean and back to the future. And... I don't know why that's always the way I see it, but, you know, just pray for me. Well, the next thing you know, they, he hears this report. Man, that obed everything, everything in his house is being blessed. Why? The presence was there. What was the difference? What, Obed-Eden got on a new New Year's resolution plan or something like that? <laughs> obed probably didn't even know. He just like, yeah, I guess you can put the ark in there. Just put it over there with the hay bales. And so David's like, we got to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. Why? Because wherever the presence is, the blessing is. Wherever the presence of the king is, the will of the king is done. The secret to living a life based on the will of God is to seek the presence of God and let that influence every area of our life. And that's why Jesus is telling us here, you want to live your best life? Don't seek after these things. This is naturally what you're going to tend to do. The struggle, the battle is every day to get up and say, no, how do I put the kingdom first and let it infiltrate every area of my life instead of being a an area of my life? Why don't you stand? So I just want to pray. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. and I just want to pray for us as we leave. But I want to, I mean, there's a lot of things you could take from today's message, and hopefully the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. But you could take from today's message, and you could ask yourself, you know, what is, what is the first thing I'm seeking, and is that really the right thing? Like, if I'm really honest with myself. And you could talk to yourself about, well, how am I going to get God to be first? And how does that work in every area of my life? 
and let the Holy Spirit lead you because remember, it is not judgment. It is compassion where you say, I want to help you live life, live your best life, live it to the fullest. And here's how you do it. And he will help you do it. And so God, we just thank you so much that you love us enough to tell us the truth and you love us enough to show us the way. And, and God, we want to be a people of your kingdom, a people of your presence. Like we, we want God to put you first. And so Lord, right now, I just pray as people in this room are, are turning their, their heart, their mind to you just for a moment before we leave. God, I pray you would show everyone through a picture, through a word, through however they hear you. But God, show them if there's something that's out of place. Show them how to get it in place. And show us how to get you first and keep you first. Lord, we, wanna, we do want to seek first the kingdom and your righteousness. And we know all these things will be added. We're not going to seek the things. We're going to seek you. But God, help us to do that. Lord, I also pray there's somebody in this room today that they don't have a, a, a relationship with you. God, not asking if they're religious or if they've ever prayed a prayer or sung a song or whatever. I mean, if they have a real relationship where you are the Lord of their life, where you are first. God, I pray that if there's someone in this room and they need to find that place of forgiveness and surrender and they need to come to you, God, I pray you would draw them by your spirit. God, I just thank you that you're moving. God, we believe it's going to be a great year. We're going to give it to you because you can do more with it than we can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, I, yeah, I love you. And if you need prayer, please come. It's time to come. If you need a relationship with God, you just need prayer for anything. Everybody else say, God bless you. Happy 2022. And I will see you next weekend.